Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek, and have a seat. It's good to be worshiping with you this morning. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited that you are here worshiping with us, and uh, I would just ask a big favor of you. If you wouldn't mind, before you head out, stop by our welcome table right out there. I have a couple of things for you. If you wouldn't mind filling out one of our welcome cards, uh, and we also have a free gift we'd love to put in your hand, and and that, that card just gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit and let you know how much we appreciate you being our guest today. So if you could do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. And you find us working our way through our current sermon series called Good News, where we are focusing on God's message to the world. As we've been saying, it seems like in in our current uh, day and age, we're just bombarded with bad news and just confronted all the time with all the evil and brokenness and sad things in the world. But when we come to scripture, when we come to God's message, it's called the gospel. And gospel means good news. God's message is one of good news. So we've been kind of tracing our way through God's message here in scripture. We saw uh, at the beginning, we talked about creation and how God formed the world and he formed and made us. And then we see how things get broken with sin and that we're sinners by nature and by choice. And then And we talked about God's good news of salvation, how Jesus saves us and rescues us. And starting last week, we we started looking at the implications of our salvation. When Jesus saves us, what happens? And last week, we talked about the doctrine of justification. And that justification is this act of God where he forgives all of our sins and declares us righteous. So with justification, the the incredible thing about that truth is that our sin debt that we have stored up is completely forgiven, right? So we see uh, what we've been talking about with sin is because of our sinful nature and our sinful choices, we stand condemned before God. We have stored up this sin debt that has brought us death and wrath and punishment. But the good news of salvation, God's good message to the world is that Jesus takes care of all of that. When we put our faith in him, He justifies us. Our sin debt is completely forgiven. And now instead of standing in a place of condemnation before God, we stand in a place of righteousness, forever loved and accepted by Jesus. And it's all because of him, right? That's what we talk about. The the really cool thing that happens on the cross is there's this exchange, right? Jesus takes on our sin and wrath and punishment and then gives us his righteousness and perfection. So when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our brokenness. He doesn't see or our evil desires. No, he sees righteousness. He sees Jesus's perfection. And I think if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, there are times in our life that, that we don't necessarily feel or that we don't act righteous. There are times in our lives where we still stray, right? Even though we've been forgiven, even though we've been saved, there are times where we still go back to our sin, where we still choose sin over Jesus, where we're not living the righteous life that he's called us to. This is what theologians call remaining sin, right? Even though we've we've been saved, we've been rescued, we've been completely forgiven, there is still this battle. The Bible kind of calls it this battle within us between walking in the spirit, walking according to God's ways, and walking back according to our flesh, right? So there's a battle between spirit and flesh. 
And when we go back to the flesh, we're going back to sin, but Jesus calls us away from that, right? He calls us to follow him. So this next part of our salvation we're going to look at today is how does God's message, how does God's good news of salvation impact the way I live my life on an everyday basis? How does God change the way I'm living? Like we've said, salvation changes everything about us. Everything about us is changed the moment we put our faith in Jesus, and that includes the way we live. God doesn't save us and then say, okay, Travis, thanks for putting your faith in me. Now just go back to the way you were living. Go back to the way things were. Just keep doing whatever you were doing. That's not what God does. That's not what it means to put our faith in him. No, it changes everything, including the way we live our life. So justification changes our standing and our position before God. So we talked about last week. And then this week, what we're going to see is God wants to change our, our practical daily lives, how we live and walk and, and, and do this thing called life with Jesus. And the process of this change within us from living according to our sins and now living according to God's ways is the doctrine of sanctification. So we talked about justification last week. We're going to talk about sanctification this week. And sanctification at its base level, what it means is to be made holy. If something or someone is sanctified, it means that they are set apart, they are consecrated, they are dedicated to God to be used for his purposes and to be made holy by him. So when the Bible calls us to be sanctified, to walk in sanctification, this is what it's talking about. So a helpful, hopefully a helpful definition for sanctification is this. Sanctification is a lifelong process where we are made holy and more like Jesus. Read that again. Sanctification is a lifelong process where we are made holy and more like Jesus. So a couple of things to point out before we really get into the meat of, of where we're going today. Sanctification is different than justification. So last week we talked about how justification was a one-time act by God. It was one time, done, completely forever. You don't have to be re-justified throughout your life, right? No, it's a one-time act completely done by God. But sanctification, however, is, is a process. And it's a lifelong process. This process of becoming more like Jesus in our lives takes our entire lives for God to complete. And we won't be fully sanctified in this life. That will only come when Jesus returns or we die and we go to be with him. That's when the sanctification process is done. So it's a lifelong process. And it's also a process that God invites us to play a part in. You and I play no part in our justification. That is, that is completely outside of us. It is done to us. Well, sanctification is a, is a process where God invites us to participate. So we have a part in that. We're going to talk about all of this today. We're going to keep it kind of high level. There's a lot of nuance with sanctification. We can't get into all of that, or I'd keep you guys here forever. Nobody wants that. So it's going to be kind of high level. We'll hit on some things, cover a bunch of stuff. And, and like we've been doing, we're, we're going to see sanctification spoken of and talked about in a lot of different places in scripture. And we'll, we'll address and, and read a lot of those places. But where we're going to center ourselves and, and our main passage for today is found in Romans chapter six. So we've been hanging out in Romans chapter three. Well, now we're going to skip ahead to Romans chapter six. If you have your Bibles, go ahead open up to Romans chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible, it's all good. We'll have the verses on the screen. We also have Bibles at our table that you can grab as our gift to you. But Romans chapter 6, we're going to hang out in the first 14 verses. Let me go ahead and read that. So Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. So what this passage and and many others teach us about sanctification is there's two things happening in the process of sanctification. Two things going on, and these are going to center our time today. So the two things that that happen to us as a result of sanctification is we are given a new life, and we are led to a new lifestyle. So first point there, we are given a new life. We are given a new life. This is the first part of sanctification. It begins here with God giving us new life. Look at verse 4 again of Romans chapter 6. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. If you underline or highlight things in your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase, newness of life. Newness of life. This is what happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus. He makes us new. He gives us a new life. Remember what we've been talking about with sin. What's our state before Jesus saves us? What what is our life described as in Scripture? Well, we've seen different places like uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are dead in our sins. Uh, Colossians 2 says that we read this last week. Colossians 2 says that we are dead in our trespasses. So uh, Romans 6, if we were to continue reading, says that we are slaves to our sin. That's our state before God. We are dead in our sins. We are spiritually dead before God, which means, again, like this is what we've been talking about. We can't save ourselves. Dead people can't save themselves. They're dead. That's all they are. They're they're dead in their sins. We are dead in our sins. We are, again, we've talked about sinners by nature and by choice. We have a nature bent away from God and towards sin. That's what it means to be dead in our sins. We are joyfully and happily chasing after our sins. We want our sin more than we want anything else. That's what it means to be dead in our sins. That's us before Christ saves us. But here's the good news of the gospel. When Christ saves us, he makes us alive. He gives us a new life. This is what theologians call the doctrine of regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration. And a simple definition of regeneration is this. Regeneration is when God makes us alive through faith in Jesus. When God makes us spiritually alive through faith in Jesus. That's regeneration. 
That's what's happening here in Romans chapter six. We are made alive by Jesus. We are given newness of life. We're no longer dead in our sins. We are alive in Christ. Author and, and theologian Richard Lovelace says this in his incredible book, Dynamics of a Spiritual Life. Awesome, I've never read it, it's an incredible book. He writes this about regeneration. He says, regeneration is the recreation of spiritual life in those who are dead in trespasses and sins. It occurs in the depths of the human heart at the roots of consciousness, infusing new life, which is capable of spiritual awareness, perception, and response, and is no longer alienated from the life of God. That's regeneration. Like we've been talking about, everything that happens in salvation is, is a fixing, it's a, it's a reversal of what happens in Genesis chapter 3, right? So when we, when we go back and we start in Genesis 1 and we see how God created us, that we're made to be his image and, and live for him and live under his authority, well, all of that gets broken the moment Adam and Eve sin. And God said, if you, if you sin, if you disobey, if you eat of that tree in the garden, you will die. Now, they didn't physically die in that moment like we talked about a couple weeks ago, but they did spiritually die in that moment. When they chose sin over God, when they rejected God's goodness and his authority and chose their own way, they spiritually died in that moment. They were separated, alienated from God. And everything that happens in salvation is a reversal of what happened in that moment. So last week when we talked about justification, that separation in our relationship between us and God, well, that gets fixed through reconciliation. When Jesus justifies us, we're brought close to God. No longer are we separated. No longer are we far from God. We're brought near. Well, this is another reversal. When we died in that moment, regeneration fixes all of that. When we put our faith in Jesus, no longer are we spiritually dead. We are spiritually alive in Christ. No longer do we have a nature that is bent towards sin. Now we have one that is bent towards Jesus. That's what Loveless is talking about here. Now we have this life that's capable of spiritual awareness, capable of responding positively to Jesus' word and his message and his ways. No longer, again, are we bent towards sin. We're now bent towards Jesus. That's what it means to be made alive. This is spoken of all throughout Scripture. Other places that we see this, one of the more famous ones is is Jesus in John chapter 3. Jesus in John chapter 3, starting verse 3, says this. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Because, yeah, that's crazy, right? Being born again, what are you talking about here? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? No, that's weird. That's crazy. Jesus answered him, verse 5, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whenever born of the Spirit is spirit. This is why we talk about, as believers, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're, we're born again. It comes from this idea of regeneration. We're made new. We're given new life. No longer are we dead in our sins. We are alive in Jesus. One of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. I love this because that, that phrase right there, new creation, that, that word uh, for new creation is the Greek word kainos. And it's very similar to the words that we see in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, newness of life and, and new creation. They're very similar words. And here's why I love that word so much is because it, it gives this idea of something being brand new. It's not just some fixed up, cleaned up version of the old thing. It's something brand new like nothing ever seen before. Uh, 
the other week, I, uh, I cleaned out our two cars. So we got two cars and, and we got three kids, which means our cars are constantly filled with crumbs and food and toys and junk and trash and everything. So every, every so often, I try to clean it. So, you know, take the car wash, get it all cleaned up, you vacuum it out, man. And these things were looking, they were looking new, looking fresh and clean, like brand new. It was looking good. Well, guess what happened the next time our kids got in the car? Back to how it was. It's like I just wasted an hour of my life cleaning this because now it's disgusting again. Now it's, I could clean this every single day and sure, it'll look great, but it's gonna get dirty again. And I think sometimes this is how we view our relationship with God, that we're still this, this dirty old self. That sure, Jesus cleans up from time to time and makes us feel good and look good, but man, as soon as I mess up again, I'm back to my old dirty self again. And that's not at all the picture that we're given here. That word for new creation, kainos, it's, it's brand new. It's not a, a cleaned up version of ourselves. It's not a fixed up version of ourselves. It's not a refurbished, right? You can take something that's old and broken, fix it up, and then resell it as, hey, we refurbished it. We made it look good again. It's working again. Like, that's not us. We're not just some fixed up version of our broken old self. No, we are a new creation, brand new, like nothing we've ever seen before. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what it means to be made new. We're brand new. Ephesians, 4, or Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 puts it this way. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Church, what good news is that? That is such good news. We were dead and now we're alive. We were old and broken and busted down and Jesus has made us brand new. And now with regeneration, we're given a new life. We're given a new identity. We're given a new nature. Again, no longer are we bent towards sin. We are bent towards Jesus. I've told you guys, I told you last week about my, my love-hate relationship with our dog. Um, some days there is love, very little, not much, and it quickly goes away. But, you know, like I said, I try to start each day, you know, loving the dog, caring the dog, and, and glad that she's here. Like, again, that quickly goes away. One of the things that drives me crazy, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going to over-exaggerate. You guys think I hate my dog, and I might a little bit sometimes, but, I, you know, she's a good dog. She's fine. I'm, I'm over-exaggerating a little bit here. But one of the things that drives me crazy is, is she will, will, any chance she gets to get any kind of, like, regular people food, table food, man, she takes advantage of that immediately. So we have in our kitchen, we have this round table, and because our house is a little bit smaller, we, we've had to get creative with how we use space. So when we moved in, uh, I made these benches that kind of go against the wall there and the table's kind of pushed up in the corner and those benches used for storage and seating and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, it makes easy access to the counter. And man, our dog, as soon as I turn my back in the mornings, she is up on that counter and looking for any kind of food she can get. And one couple weeks ago, she snagged part of my breakfast. And y'all, I don't share food well at all. I can be a giving and selfless person, but when it comes to food, I'm as selfish as they can get. No, I'm not sharing my food with you. No, I will not give you a little bit of my, that's my food, okay? Don't touch it. Maybe don't even look at it. That's mine, right? That's how I view my food. And the dog, she took my food, y'all. Took my food. I was so mad. That was not a happy morning. And then the other day, she snagged some of, of Milo's breakfast. She, she snagged some of Kendra's in the morning before. Like the second you turn around, she is up on the counter and getting whatever she can get. But I, you know, I, I have to remind myself, she's a puppy. She's a puppy. She's still learning, and it's in her nature to do that, right? She is wired to just go after food. Wherever there's food, she's going to go get it, and she's going to eat it. It tastes good. It tastes good. Like, this is, this is good, and I want it. Like, she is wired to that. She has it in her nature. 
And that's, that's us before Christ, right? Like before Christ, we, our nature is one of sin. And we are bent towards sin and we willingly and joyfully chase after our sin. But in Christ, we are new. Look again at these words that are used in Romans chapter 6, verse 2. It says that we're, we're dead to sin. Verse 6, we're, we're told that, that our old self is crucified with Christ. It's put to death. Also in verse 6, it says that we're no longer enslaved to sin. Verse 7, we've been freed from sin. Verse 9, death no longer rules over us. Verse 11, we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. We have a new nature. We are made new. No longer bent towards sin. We are bent towards Christ. No longer alienated, far, and separated from Jesus. We are brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what Christ has done for us. So he makes us new. And then that leads to the second part of sanctification. That leads to the second part, which is we are led to a new lifestyle. So we're given a new life, and then we're led to a new lifestyle. Look again at verses 12 through 14 of Romans chapter 6. Paul writes, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, so let's go back to verse 12. You can put that verse 12 back up there. Paul starts this new section on this new paragraph with therefore. Now, anytime you see therefore, that should be this, this red blinking light that says, hey, pay attention to me. Pay attention to me because as the author, they're about to drive home a really important point. And when they write therefore, what they're doing is they're making a point based on what they just said. So based on what Paul just told us, that we are dead to sin and we're alive to Christ, that we, we have crucified our old way of living and now we're new in Jesus, based on that, what are we supposed to do? Not let sin reign in our bodies. Not let sin reign within us. We don't obey sin anymore. We now obey Jesus. No longer do we live a lifestyle filled with sin, chasing after sin, going our own way. Now we live a life for Jesus. We follow him. We obey him. So our new life in Christ, remember this, Paul's basing this statement on what he just told us. So our new life in Christ leads us to a new lifestyle. A life lived for Jesus, following him and his word, not sin, not our own ways, not the ways of this world. And when we talk about sanctification, that, that's typically what we talk about. When we talk about being made holy, we, we talk about it in terms of, of walking in obedience to Jesus, right? Saying no to sin and yes to Jesus, right? That's typically how we talk about it. And, and let's, we're going to dig into that more here in a second. But, but first, I want to give us two extremes to avoid when we talk about sanctification, two extremes that we can do. One of them Paul addresses right here at the beginning of Romans chapter 6 when he says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? What he's doing here is he's addressing a common uh, issue in the day right here where people would say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm saved by grace. Look at all the mighty things that God has done to overcome my sin. Well, guess what? Maybe I should just keep on living in sin, and then that makes grace 
grace even bigger, even more, right? Let me just, I'll reject following Jesus. I'm going to continue in my sin so that I can say, look how big grace is. Like, look, how, like I'm, a, I'm an awful sinner and look how much grace has saved me. Like, that's kind of the mindset that we see here. And it's also addressed in, in James chapter two, where James writes, faith without works is dead. And that gets a lot of controversy, gets a lot of a publicized talk about. But, but this is what James and Paul are saying the exact same thing. When James says that faith without works is dead, and when, when Paul writes, should we keep on sinning? Absolutely not. They're saying the same thing. Our faith in Jesus needs to be demonstrated with how we live our lives, the works of our lives, the fruit that Jesus talks about, that, that we are to bear fruit when we follow him. That's what he's talking about here. See, when Jesus saves us, we live under his authority. We're following him. We're, we're living for him. No longer are we chasing our own ways. Again, this is a reversal of Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we rejected God in his ways, and we chase after our own. We rejected God's authority, and we lived under our own authority. When we follow Jesus, we go back to following Jesus and his ways, living under his authority. So do we keep sinning? Absolutely not. Are we going to continue sin? Yes, and we'll talk about that in a second. Yes, we will, still, we will continue to struggle with sin. But we don't live in this, this mindset of, well, I'll just keep sinning because it doesn't really matter. I was saved by grace. God did it all anyways. Why does it matter how I live? No, it matters how you live. That's a big deal. That's how we demonstrate our faith and belief in Jesus, okay? So that's the first one to avoid. The second one to avoid, which this one is far more prevalent in the church, I believe. The second thing to avoid is some form of legalism. So legalism is this idea that, that we, we create extra rules and boundaries to help us live a holy life to help us follow Jesus. So in order to do that, so I don't slip back into sin, I take the stuff that God tells me in his word and I go, cool, Jesus, I hear you, but you didn't go far enough and, and I need to go even further. So let me put up all these extra boundaries and rules to help me follow Jesus. And it plays itself out in a variety of different things, a variety of different ways. You know, the entertainment that you consume, like, like you might say, well, I'm not gonna watch these things or I'm not gonna listen to this kind of music because that's, that's unrighteous, that, that will lead to sin. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but those are some of the ways we do it. Or, you know, politics, well, well real Christians, true believers in Jesus, they vote for this person and this kind of candidate. Okay, well, maybe, I don't, I don't really know, I don't see that addressed in scripture, but okay, sure, go for it. Like, so we, we create these extra boundaries, schooling, you know, parents of young kids, like, I, like schooling, it's like, oh, well, I, I chose public school for my children, aren't, aren't I so? holy, oh, I chose homeschool and private school. It's like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't see that in here. But we, we create these extra boundaries and rules, you know, in a good effort, right? Like, I think it starts out pure. It starts out good. Like, we want to live a holy life, but we know, man, I struggle with this. I don't want my kids to struggle with this. I don't, don't want to go down that road. So you know what? I'm going to back up even further so I don't get close. Like, that's a good mindset. Like, we don't want to get close to the edge. It's not like, here's the line. And like, let's see how close to the line we can get without tipping over. Like, that's, that's not good either. Like, we don't want to do that. So it starts out pure, and it starts out with a good motivation, I think. But the danger with legalism is when we start to believe, man, God loves me more because of these extra things. Or really how it plays out is it leads us to a bunch of pride and, and look how good of a Christian I am compared to these other people. And it's like the Pharisee in Luke 18 that we talked about last week, like, oh God, thank you that I'm not like these awful sinners, like that tax collector over there. Look how terrible he is. Thank God I'm not like them. That's where legalism gets us into trouble, is when we start to believe we're somehow better because we do these extra things. The Lord leads you, gives you conviction to do those extra things, by all means do it. Sounds great, as long as it's not tipping into this problematic motivation where I think I'm earning God's love, God loves me more because of this, or I'm somehow better 
than other people because of this. All right, so those are two extremes to avoid when it comes to sanctification. And the way to solve that is to center ourselves back in Romans chapter 6 is to remember that our new life in Jesus, our justification in Jesus, paves the way for sanctification. Our justification, our regeneration, leads us to the new life. I live for Jesus. I follow him and his ways. I seek to live a holy life, not to somehow earn something from God, but because of all that God has done for me, because I'm made new, because I'm his child, because I'm supposed to live for him, because he's given me all of these good things. That's why I do it. I have to base my sanctification. I have to base my living holy and following Jesus on what happened with justification and regeneration. That gives us the proper motivation. That leads us to live for Jesus. So now that we have our proper motivation, what does it look like to actually do this, to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies? Well, there's two parts to justification. We'll end here for today. Two parts to justification. God's part and our part. God's part and our part. Again, remember, this is a process that we are invited into. So God's part... God, scripture teaches us that, that Jesus, that, that God is the one who sanctifies, that he does the work, that he completes the work, that, it, that he's the one that does it. So some verses that speak to this, Hebrews 10.10 10 says, by this will, and, and if you read the context, you, it, it's clearly talking about salvation in Jesus, the salvation that Jesus provides, faith in him. That's what the author's saying here. By that, because of that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Now, that's in past tense. That's a completed work. So in some ways, sanctification is already done because God's the one that does it. And he's outside of time. He's outside of our, our time and space. And, and he sees it as already being a completed, done, finished work because he's the one that does it. Romans 8, 29 through 30 puts it this way. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. And that, that idea of glorification, we're gonna talk about this in a couple of weeks, but it points to the end. When we are with Jesus in complete perfection and his work is done. Well, in some ways, in some, somehow, when God looks at us, he already sees the finished product. He already sees the completed work. And he's like, man, I've called you, I've justified you, and I have glorified you. It's, it, it's done. He does the work. 2 Corinthians 3.18 puts it this way. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Uh, what's that say? It, being transformed. That's passive. That's something that is done to us. Paul doesn't say, hey, when you follow Jesus, go transform yourself. That's not what we're told here. We are being transformed. God is the one who does this. He sanctifies he transforms. He completes his work. He does it. He does all the heavy lifting when it comes to our holiness. He does the work. And again, before we move on from this, I just want to point out that, that word where it says being transformed into the same image. That, that word for image there is a Greek word, icon. And it means just that. It means image. It means icon, just like how it sounds in our English language. 
it means image. But when you, when you look back at the Old Testament, when you go back to Genesis 1, again, this is all the reversal of what happens in Genesis 3. When we go back to Genesis 1, where it says that we were made to, to be in the image of God, that God created us in his image. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. When it gets translated into Greek, that word for image in Genesis 1 is the same word there. It's icon. So God's work in sanctification is again, it's a reversal of Genesis 3. We were created to be God's image, to reflect his character, his goodness, uh, his truth to the world, to live in his authority. But when we chose sin, when we rejected God and chose sin, that image was broken. And we've been broken images ever since. But with salvation, God is restoring that image. He's transforming us back into his image to live as his image, to reflect him and his will and his character to the world. That's what God is doing in sanctification. He is transforming us. Another thing that, that God does in sanctification, this is, this is really important, is he conquers the power of sin. He conquers the power of sin. I love how Paul puts it here in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. If you, again, if you underline, highlight in your Bible, do that to, to rendered powerless. It might be translated other things in, in your version, but, but here in the CSB, it's translated rendered powerless. And what that phrase means is to be completely stripped of its power, for something to be, be completely stripped of its power to the point where it's basically dead. It's dead. Has no power, has no authority. That's what God has done to sin. Again, apart from God's work, left to ourselves, we are under the power and authority of sin. We are driven by sin. We are corrupted by sin. Everything we do, even the good stuff, is tainted by sin. Sin rules over us. Death rules over us. We are bent towards sin. We chase after sin. We love our sin. We are under the power of sin. But what God does in our salvation is he renders that powerless. He strips sin of all its power. He fully defeats Satan and his power on the cross. That's what God has done for us. Here's what that means, church. This is why such good news. We are not under the power of sin anymore. Sin is not inevitable. When Satan comes and he tempts and he seeks to live us astray, we don't have to give in. We don't have to go that way anymore. We are not under Satan's power. So church, when Satan comes calling, when he comes tempting, saying, hey, come back over here, Travis. Hey, come back. Give in to that sin. Wasn't it awesome? Wasn't it great? Don't you just love that sin? And I'm, and I'm like, oh man, yeah, I kind of do. Like maybe, maybe I should. No, no. I say, no, Satan. Stop that. You don't got any power here? Get out of here. You're done. You're defeated. You are rendered powerless. Church, we don't have to give in to sin anymore. Satan has no power over us. And every time we give in to sin, we are giving him his power and authority back. We have to renounce sin and remind Satan of his defeat. Remind him he has no power here. He has no claim on us. God has rendered him powerless. So clearly we can see God, God does the heavy lifting here. He does the hard work, but he also invites us in to participate. So that's God's part. Our part is following Jesus in active obedience 
following Jesus in active obedience. Saying no to sin and yes to Jesus. No longer living in our old ways, now we live in the new life. Now we follow God's ways. We follow his word. We follow him over and above even the things that I want, right? Even maybe even the good things in life. We follow Jesus over everything else. That's what active obedience is. Some places that that speak to this. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That idea of working out our salvation, it's the same thing that we, we saw with, with James and, and with Paul here saying, don't, don't follow sin anymore. Don't let sin reign in your body. It's the same idea. What it means by to work out your salvation, it means to, to live in the salvation that God has given you. Follow his ways. Live in the salvation, the new life that he's given you. Do that. And does it work? Yeah, sometimes it's work. It takes some effort. Every day we have to say, I'm going to follow Jesus and not my sin anymore. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm not going back to my way. I'm going with you. 2 Timothy 2.22 puts it this way. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We flee from sin. We run away from sin, right? Again, we don't get close to the line to see how close we can get without crossing it. No, we run the opposite direction. We run away from sin and we pursue righteousness. We pursue righteousness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 puts it this way. But have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. The way to translate that is, is discipline yourself for godliness. This takes effort. This takes wanting and desiring Jesus more than our sin. It doesn't just happen naturally. We're not going to just drift towards Christ-likeness. We're not going to drift towards holiness, church. If we're not paying attention, if we're not putting in the effort, if we're not actively obeying Jesus, again, we're not just going to magically one day wake up and like, man, I'm, I'm more like Jesus than I ever was. Don't go to church. Don't read my Bible. Don't pray. I don't do any of that stuff. And look, here I am. I'm more like Jesus. That's not going to happen. We don't drift towards holiness. We drift back to our old ways. We drift back to sin. So we flee from sin. We pursue righteousness. We, we discipline ourselves. We put forth effort. Now, how do we do that without, without tripping back into legalism, right? How do we do that without, without viewing somehow our, of our effort as, as earning us something from God? Well, again, let's go back to Romans 6. Remember, Paul says in verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Verse 13, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. So again, we we don't live in unrighteousness. We live in righteousness. We pursue righteousness. Verse 14, here's the key. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Pay attention to that. Sin will not rule over you. Why? Because of your strength? Because of your great effort? Because of all the things that you do? No. What does it say? For sin will not rule over you. Why? Because you are under grace. You're under grace. God's got you. He's leading you. He will carry you through. So how do we, how do we follow Jesus in active obedience? We, we, we do it through grace-driven effort. We do it through grace-driven effort. 
We strive to live for Jesus. We, per- we flee sin and we pursue righteousness, not so that we can earn grace, but because we've been given grace. Because look and see what all God has done for us. Look and see his favor that he has lavished upon us and let's, let's live in that. Let's pursue that. So we live for Jesus through grace-driven effort and through grace, we put sin to death. Through grace, we put sin to death. This is what Colossians 3 says. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. So the first part of this this grace-driven effort, actively obeying Jesus, following him, and, and resting in his grace, is we put our sin to death. We put our sin to death. We have nothing to do with our sin anymore. We have nothing to do with that. I think sometimes we, we just want to carry around our sin like it's just this, this little pet, right? Like, oh, I got it under control. Oh, that's no problem. It only comes out when I want it to. It's fine. It's fine. I don't have a problem with this sin. I don't have a problem with anger. I don't have a problem with lust or pride or greed. No, that's crazy talk. We, we hang on to our sin and we carry it around like it's this, this little pet that we, we somehow can manage and control and have power over. And that, it, that it, we, we downplay our sin, right? We do that all the time. We downplay it like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, it's not really hurting anybody. Oh, nobody really knows about it. No, it's fine. It's fine. So what if I got a little angry, right? No, it's just my personality. I'm an Enneagram 17 or whatever the numbers are. I don't even know. I just, that's, just my per- that's just how God made me, right? So what if I struggle with that a little bit? That's just my personality. We blame our sin on other things. We carry it around like it's a little pet. Yesterday, I haven't told my wife this yet, so she's going to freak a little bit, but yesterday I opened the garage door and there was a little snake crawling on our driveway and the, our kids were walking towards it and they like lost their mind. Like, Dad, they're screaming. I'm like, what? what's going on? What's happening? I'm like, there's a snake. I'm like, no, there's not. I see it's, y'all, it's like this tiny little thing. So it's this tiny little thing and they're like, Dad, what are we going to do with it? I'm like, well, it's, it's a tiny little gardener snake. Like, it can't hurt anybody. It's not going to do anything. So I pick it up and, we, and I throw it in the woods. I pick it up and I throw it in our woods behind us and kids thought it was hilarious that I threw it. Yeah, I, sorry, babe. I didn't kill it, but it did hit a tree, so maybe it was concussed. I don't really know. But anyways, I take it and I, and I throw it away. And, and sometimes I think we, we think our sin is like this little gardener snake that can't hurt you. No, it is a copperhead. It's a diamond. It's a rattlesnake. That thing bites you. You are dead. That's what our sin wants to do. We can't pet it and play with it and keep it with us. No, we got to put that thing to death. We got to kill it. Put it to death. That's the first step in active obedience is we have to say, I don't want my sin anymore. I don't want it anymore. I don't want anything to do with that sin anymore. We have to put it to death. So through grace, we put our sin to death. Next step, through grace, we turn to Jesus in repentance. There's another tool of grace, a tool of sanctification, is repentance. Our lives in Jesus are to be marked with constant repentance, constantly turning back to Jesus. See, if we're going to walk in obedience to Jesus, we have to fight our sin at a heart level, at a desire level. So the first part is putting it to death, saying, I don't want that anymore. And then what do we do with that desire? We put it where it belongs, and that's in Jesus. We put it with something far better than our sin could ever be, and that's Jesus. 
And that's what repentance is. It's saying, I'm done with this. I don't want my sin anymore. Jesus, I want you. I love you more than my sin. I want you more than my sin. Not just because that's what I'm told to do, not just because that's what your word says to do, but because you actually are better and more glorious and more amazing. You're far better than our sin could ever be. It has to be fought at this desire level or else we're just gonna keep going back to the same sins over and over and over again. We have to get to this point where we, we want to put our sin to death, that we wanna be done with our sin, and we wanna want to turn those desires back to Jesus. That's what repentance is. And look, it's this constant, everyday battle that we wage. We wage this war with our desires every moment of every day. So turn to Jesus in repentance. And then through grace, we are sanctified by faith. We're sanctified by faith. Faith is what solidifies these desires for Jesus. Again, this is at a heart level. Why I truly believe and trust and know and remind myself that Jesus actually is better than my sin. We are sanctified by faith. By faith, we draw near to God and we run away from our sin. By faith, we see Jesus as better and far more desirable than our sin. By faith, we follow God's ways and not our own. By faith, we embrace our new life, our new identity in Jesus and are done with our old ways. That's what it looks like to be sanctified. That's how Colossians 2 puts it and we'll end here for today. Colossians 2, 20 through 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. See how Paul is talking about our life in Christ? Our old life is done. Our old life of sin, living for sin, chasing after sin, it's been crucified with Christ. It's been put to death. It has no power over us other than the power that we give it when we go back to those old ways. It's been put to death. And now we have this new life that we live through Christ, through faith and trust in him, through believing that he actually is far better than we could ever imagine. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What has your sin done? It's only led you to destruction and despair and death. We need to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. Again, we have to love him and see him as far better than our sin. That's how we follow him. That's how we walk in obedience. That's how we live this life by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We don't set aside the grace of God. We walk and live in the grace of God. This is what it looks like to follow him. This is what it looks like to be sanctified in Jesus. So when Jesus saves us, again, he doesn't leave us unchanged. He doesn't say you're saved and go back to the way things were. No, he changes everything. He gives us a new life. He calls us to a new lifestyle, one lived in obedience to his word, to his ways no longer following ourselves, no longer following our sin, no longer following the ways of this world, we live for Jesus and we do it by faith and through grace. So church, I'm gonna pray in a moment and, and we're gonna do what we do every single week. We're gonna step into a time of worship and communion 
And this is a time for believers in the room only. So if you're here and you've put your faith in Jesus, you've trusted in him, this is time for us to, to, to sit and, and to worship and to spend time in fellowship and communion with God. So I want to encourage you believers in the room, uh, for those that are, take a moment after I pray, take, take some time to spend with Jesus. And maybe you just need to sit and worship and, and praise him and just be reminded of who he is and all that he's done for us. And, and to remind yourself of how great and wonderful and glorious he is. Maybe for some of us, we, we realize, man, I've, I've, I've strayed back into my old ways. Instead of living in the new self, I've actually gone and I've put back on the old self. Okay, like, like we talked about, what, what grace leads us is, is to repentance, is to coming back to Jesus. It's to seeing him for who he is, and he's, he's the loving father with his arms wide open, ready to welcome back his children. So if you're here, maybe you've, you've strayed, You've gone back to your old way. You've done some things that you said, man, I'm never going to do that again. And, and here you are struggling with that stuff. Those same decisions, those same bad habits. We'll turn back to Jesus. Jesus has a time to, to come back to him, to walk in faith and grace and repentance. And then as you're ready, we go on either side of the room where the tables are. We, we take the bread, we drink the cup. We remember that Jesus shed his blood and gave his life for us on the cross so that we could have salvation, so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could be sanctified. Let's worship, praise our God and Savior, and walk in his holiness. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you can do that today. Jesus makes it clear that, that if anyone believes in him, he's born again. You put your faith and your trust in him. You are made new. You're justified, you're sanctified, you're glorified in that moment. Come to Jesus. Stop living for your sins. Stop chasing after the things of this world and put your faith in Jesus. If you want to do that today, I'll be hanging out in the back. Anybody here would, would love to talk with you as well. If you have questions, want to talk through that some more, please let us know uh, where we're here to help in any way that we can. So we pray for us, and then we're going to step into this time of worship and communion. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, we thank you for this new life that you've given us, Lord, that you have made us new, that you've made us alive, that you've made us a new creation, Jesus. Lord, you're, you're so wonderful. You're, you're so, so good to us, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done. Lord, thank you for giving us new life. Thank you for, for sanctifying us. Lord, thank you for calling us to a better way that we don't have to stay in our sin, that we don't have to chase after our old ways. Lord, we can enjoy you and be with you and follow you, Jesus. So we thank you and praise you for who you are and all that you've done, Lord. When we stray, Lord, when we, when we turn back to you, when we run back to your arms, Jesus. So we love you, we praise you, we lift high your name today. In your name we pray, amen.